Hi there, Terry here with the Animation Industry Podcast. Today, I am chatting with one of the original animators on the massively successful video game, Cuphead. And she is someone who really inspires me because at one point in her life, she really wasn't satisfied with the way her career was going, and she took a huge risk to change everything up into an area that nobody thought would be successful, and that is 2D hand-drawn animation, which these days has pretty much just been wiped out by the technological advances in animation software. So, if you are interested in getting into 2D hand-drawn animation, this animator, Tina Navritsky, will share the top three skills you need to be successful, and also where the medium itself is headed in the future. But this is also a really great reason if you are thinking of changing your career, but you are scared to do so for whatever reason, because Tina really gets into the nitty-gritty of what it actually took for her to quit her old, comfortable life, risk everything, and find success. And the story of how I met Tina is actually quite a coincidence. Our dogs met at the park, and I ended up just chatting with her, and one thing led to another. She mentioned she was one of the 2D hand-drawn animators on Cuphead, and obviously I asked her to be on this podcast. And now I just want to introduce some of her background and the amazing work that she has done over the years. So Tina has over 13 years experience working as an animator and concept artist in the video game industry. And throughout her career, her clients have included Disney and Warner Brothers, National Geographic, PBS Kids, One Drop Foundation, and MLB. And Tina actually joined Studio MDHR pretty much from the beginning in 2015 to work on Cuphead as a concept artist and 2D animator. And she designed and animated Baroness Von Bonbon and the mini bosses for the Sugarland Shimmy level. And she also created the concepts and animated tons of the enemies for the various platforming stages. And overall, she animated over 60 characters for Cuphead. So thank you, Tina, so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? Good. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great too. Um, so first I wanted to chat about your crazy story of how you ended up working on Cuphead. And um, because especially like one thing I didn't know about Cuphead is that it was all traditionally hand animated frame by frame. And yeah, I just wondered if you can share your story of how you got into, first of all, frame by frame animation and then Cuphead. Yeah, so um, I was working in the video game industry in Montreal for eight years uh, before moving to Ontario. And I was working mostly in 2D, but uh, it was fairly like puppet animation or limited animation. And on very casual games, a lot of people asked me, what did I do before Cuphead? I'm like, you won't know anything. It was like just very small, uh, you know, very kind of unknown games, a lot of... Um, you know, uh, smartphone games or uh, Facebook games were a big thing at that time. So we did a lot of those. And at one point I was being promoted too much to be like more of a manager kind of position. So I was uh, training juniors and dealing with clients and I hated that. And so I took this kind of um, really crazy decision that I want to, you know, shake things up and go back to my original love, which was frame by frame 2D animation even though everybody told me it was dead and there was no chance to ever work in it, it was what I loved and I wanted to get really good at it. And um, my kind of thought process about it also was like, even if I don't get a job in this, I find personally that traditional frame by frame 2D animation is the hardest because not only do you need to be great at movement, but you also need to be a great grass person. And I was like, worst comes to worst, I'll be just a really good animator, <laughs> you know? And then I can adapt to maybe another form of animation afterwards. 
So um, I went, uh, I moved to Ontario. I went to Sheridan College uh, for two years. Never graduated because I ran out of funds. But when I went to Sheridan, my whole purpose was to get back to in touch with that love of frame by frame hand drawn animation. And so I did all my exercises on paper, you know, scanning them uh, frame by frame because I didn't have a batch scanner at the time. And I would post them to a blog. I wasn't very savvy about like social media or internet things, uh, but one of the teachers says, oh, you should have a blog and like post stuff that you work on. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So I posted a bunch of my pencil tests. We started doing more lip sync and acting. And then um, after I quit after two years at Sheridan, just because no more money, I started looking for work again. And randomly I got contacted by Chad Moldenhauer, one of the two brothers that started CMDHR. And he said, hey, I saw your blog. You still do paper animation. Do you want to do a test for us? We work on this thing called Cuphead. And I had already seen the first trailer and I freaked out. And I was like, I would love to do a test for you. They uh, mailed me a batch scanner like without me even having the job yet, they mailed me a batch scanner. And um, I did uh, the waffle for Baroness von Bonbon's level. I animated the waffle for them and they approved it. And then I got the job. Um, well, <laughs> I love how randomly you started a blog with your work and then fortunately Cuphead, of all people, reached out to you and you ended up working them. But okay, so I want to, I obviously want to talk a lot about Cuphead, but I want to backtrack a little bit too. So. Something that I, I've like come to realize about myself and other people is like every like animator has a as a dream when they're very young of what they want to accomplish and get out of life. And then we were kind of chatting about this before too. And then you start your path, your journey, your career takes you in one in one way and you kind of go with the flow there and it doesn't always end up where you want it to be. So what like you were already working in video games, you were already an animator, and you were in management where you're managing other people making video games. That sounds like a successful career path from a video game animation perspective, but what was that dream you had as a young kid that wasn't fulfilled by that? So I think again, we talked about this, it's, it's very brave and stupid to sometimes realize that your career has taken you in a direction that you're not 100% satisfied with. So I had again, all my on paper, all my ducks were in a row. I had, you know, seven years experience in the industry. I was well respected by my colleagues. Uh, clients liked me, I had a mortgage, you know, I had a, a good salary that paid the bills, uh, but I realized that I stopped drawing and doing what I love, which was, you know, actually being an animator. And my biggest dream is to like die and be in my coffin at like 98 or something and go like, I was a good animator, you know, like that was like, not great, good. Like that's what I want to achieve. But for me, good is a very high standard. Um, so I realized that I'm not doing what I want to do. I tried to take night classes um, at Concordia University in Montreal. So I would work uh, nine to five, go to school six to 10. And then I fucked up my wrist because I was, you know, just like drawing all the time and, and just like not taking a break. And so I had to quit one or the other. So obviously I quit school. And then at some point I was like, no, I'm not satisfied. This is not where I wanted my career to go. Uh, I'm not made to be a manager. I hate people. <laughs> like I was just, oh. I don't like telling people what to do. Like I just want to draw. And so, so finally, I was like, I'm gonna do it. I risked everything. You know, uh, became a poor student again who couldn't afford a muffin. You know, like I would, I would go to the cafeteria and like I can't afford this muffin, but I'm really hungry. You know, like that kind of stuff. And when you're like, you know, 27, 28. And all the students are, you know, a decade younger than you and you're back to square one almost. You feel yeah. like 
shooting yourself in the face and this was a terrible decision. But in the end, it worked out for me because I did exactly what I wanted to do, which is get back in touch with what I love. And I was, you know, really hardworking and, and tried to get good at it. And then luck followed through by chance. And I got uh, an amazing job doing what I love. So it was worth it in the end. So, well, congratulations. And I think that is very brave. And um, I, your story sounds very similar to what I'm going through right now. Like I quit my career. I started animation school all over again. So I love hearing, like, I used to be in my business job and just on Wikipedia reading how people became successful in the animation industry and just feeling so out of touch with that. Being like nobody, I can't see anybody like quitting their job, like I don't know who to relate to. So was there like a, a distinct moment that you can remember that you made a switch in your mind that you had to do this no matter what? Oh yeah, 100%. So. Um... I come from like an Eastern European background. I was born in Poland and we're kind of like, you know, uh, you, you haven't lived through a war, you haven't lived through hunger, you know, buck up and fucking, you know, just do what you need to do. Like, don't, don't bitch about anything, right? And when I was in my, you know, really good career with the, everything paying the bills and everything was right, I started getting so unhappy with what I was doing and my job. And I need to be passionate about my work, it seems. It seems like for me, it's a need. I would wake up crying and then go to sleep crying. And I thought, I was like, ah, whatever, I'll just walk it off. You know, it's fine. It was like to the point where I like, I think I was depressed. And the in Quebec, at least, it's really hard to get a family doctor. Like, unless you're bleeding from the face, they don't want to see you in a walk-in clinic. So I never like actually went and got medical help for this. And when I came to Ontario and I got a family doctor and I told her about this, she's like, she made concerned eyebrows, which I've never seen on a doctor's face before. I was, And she's like, you should have like gone to see somebody I'm like, ah, oh, it's fine. I'll just walk it off. So I was unhappy, really unhappy. And then I told my mom, like, you know, about like, I was thinking maybe I should go back to school. Maybe I should like just risk everything and try and follow this kind of um, passion of mine. And she was like, oh, so you just have to decide what's more important, happiness or money. And I was like, well, if you put it that way, mom, like, you know, like, and so it's like, obviously I want to choose happiness. And so I became really poor again. I blew through all of my savings, you know, paying for school fees. And, um, and I decided to take the risk and try and follow what I've always wanted to do. And it was really worth it in the end. But it was, it was definitely a, a clear sign how unhappy I was towards the end of like when my career was just going really not the way that I wanted it to go. And also this huge fear meeting colleagues who were in the same studio for like a decade, not doing what they love. And they have like two kids, a mortgage, a car to pay off, blah, blah, blah. And all those reasons culminate to like, oh, well, I have to say like this job is secure. I get benefits, you know, they give me three weeks vacation, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my career. And I'm like, well, I don't have all those things yet to worry about. So fuck it. Like I'm going to I'm going to do it now and like try at least try. And if I fail, at least I try you know, I won't like be thinking back regrets like, oh, what if I would have tried it? Right. At least I did try. So I well, I, I, I value that a lot. And like, I don't have kids or a mortgage either. But I also faced a similar situation where I was like, do I want money and security or happiness? And I think at, at, at I know for myself at every level, I always had excuses like, oh, I have benefits now or I just started renting this expensive apartment or I just got this new job or I'm just working towards a raise or something that there's always an excuse that keep that kept me from facing the reality of what I knew I would be happy with no matter what. Um, so for you, like, I'm not 
worrying about a muffin right now, but that's going to be a real point at some at some point in my life. For you, what was the hardest part of going through that experience, but while also um, dealing with, am I going to be happy about this? Because you said you were so unhappy, but were you happier going to school and having no money overall than you were having money and not being happy? What's, what's really interesting to me is like, not only was it, you know, the poverty again, like, and, and being surrounded by like, um, I got along with my professors really well because, you know, we could chat about the industry and all these things, whereas like, I couldn't connect to the students that well. Like I would make an, like a nineties reference and like nobody, right? <laughs> and like, um, also like they'd be like complaining that their mom went into, you know, their room or something. I'm like, she pays your fucking bills. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> like, so I had I felt very kind of isolated in a way like going back to school um, and on top of you know like not having almost any money uh, my relationship uh, that was like a decade long fell apart because of the move because it was my choice to move to Ontario um, he left a career behind that uh, you know he was working like a coffee shop job or something in his 30s so it was um, it was a lot of tension at, in the home as well and so that relationship fell apart. So like I was basically going through a divorce at the same time as doing, you know, all these things. And even with all that, I still felt good about my decision on a career kind of perspective. I felt great sitting there flipping paper and, you know, working on characters and feeling that I'm improving and that I'm finally not stagnating and that I'm like moving myself forward. So even with all that emotional garbage that was being you know put on my shoulders because of my decision even in it I felt grateful for the opportunity to try something new and to shake things up so that that goes to show that it meant a lot you know just to be able to to flip paper again right yeah wow so now that you have uh flip paper full-time I think you should make that your job description I flip paper full-time yeah. <laughs> how, how does it feel how does it feel every day it feels amazing. I mean, I also definitely work very well in that kind of like freelance um, situation. I'm no longer technically a freelancer. Um, as of the success of Cuphead, Studio Mutual um, reached out to all, all its kind of um, all the people who worked on the project as freelancers for those years um, to become full time employees. So we are all full time employees. I get sick days, which is really exciting. Um, but I still have that kind of freelancer lifestyle in the sense that I work from home, I work remote, um, I make my own schedule, I could walk my dog in the park at random hours of the day. Um, so I love that kind of um, situation and also being um, able exactly to not only look at the computer all the time, but like have that relaxation of like touching paper and, you know, putting a pencil to it and making those drawings move, which to me is just like the magic of it. Me and my uh, my new partner, his name is Mike, um, we talked about like also the magic of like what photography used to be when you used to like develop the film and like put, you know, the picture in the in the bath and you would see it appear. There was like something so amazingly magical about that kind of hands on like developing your pictures in the dark room, like in this like magical space. And I find to me that's what hand-drawn animation is it's like you're flipping the page and you're like holy shit it's moving like and I still get really excited about that so yeah. it's, it's cool I'm really enjoying it 
So I do, I do want to talk a lot about um, kind of the state and uh, future of, of traditional 2D um, hand-drawn animation. But first, I, want to, I did get a lot of questions um, leading up to this chat about your experience at Cuphead and what you worked on. So can you just go through what exactly uh, do you do for Cuphead right now? And I guess what have you done the whole time, too? Yeah, so I was hired as the um, fourth animator on the team. So um, there was already uh, Jay Clark working, Joseph Coleman, and Hannah Abihana who were working on Cuphead. And then towards, um, I think, the last year of production, another animator, Dee Johnson, got hired as well. So we were in total um, five animators, but I was the fourth one to join the team. And so um, this was around the time when the interest in Cuphead had kind of peaked and um, the two brothers decided, all right, we're going all in, we're remortgaging our homes, we're like getting a loan from our dad and we're going to actually make the game that we've always wanted to make, which included platformer levels. So I was put on uh, one of the uh, boss fights that wasn't finished first, which is a Baroness von Bonbon, uh, the candy level which was hilarious because I have a huge sweet tooth and I love to bake. So I was like, fuck yes. Like I was really excited about it. Um, and I put a lot of my own personality into that boss. So it made it very, very special. And she's still my favorite character. But after that, I worked on a lot of platforming levels. Um, so I did most of the characters for like, I think uh, uh, Perilous Piers, the one with the, with the harbor. I did almost every single character in that one. And then, you know, Forest Follies and and treetop troubles and a bunch of those like that. Um, and then after that was all done, we were starting to focus on the final phase. So it was the casino boss battle, as well as the final devil kind of um, battle. So I worked on a lot of the mini bosses for the casino, including the magician rabbit, who's like snapped and completely insane. I think I was like getting really tired at that point because we were really trying to push to the finish. And I put a lot of myself into that rabbit too. It was just like psychosis. Like, uh, but I love him. He's great. And then um, I got to animate the final devil death, which was really weird because Hannah Abby Hannah, who's an incredible animator, um, he worked for Disney. Like he worked on Mary Poppins and like a bunch of stuff. Uh, he's amazing. Like by far the best animator on our team. And he animated the devil like throughout the entire uh, process. But then he um, he had planned his wedding like years before. Uh, like and we all assumed Cuphead would be finished like months before he got married and they would laugh like ha 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 you're going to be animating two days before your wedding and that's actually what happened and so he had to leave and we had a tight deadline at that point and so I got this email saying that's right you heard it right you're animating the final devil death you also have only four days to do it so like get oh, on it oh wow yeah so, so that was no pressure whatsoever right oh my gosh yeah well it sounds kind of like it's, it sounds amazingly fun to be able to work on Cuphead, but it also sounds pretty stressful from what you just said. Yeah, and what's what's interesting too is it was it was like wonderfully paced um, generally, but we did have crunch uh, towards the end because we had a very hard deadline that we had to meet. Um, and so our first meeting when Studio MDHR decided to work on uh, DLC uh, for Cuphead was that we are as a studio are not going to promote crunch and that we will do everything that we can to never have crunch again um, because the health of our animators and employees is more important than meeting a deadline. Um, so that was really wonderful that they yeah. kind of learned from that experience and were like, never again. Um, so so it makes you also feel very cared for. You know, that, like, yeah, that's incredible. Like, um, care about you more than about even delivering the product on time, right? So 
Well, I think that's very rare and incredible, and it clearly shows like the um, production value of Cuphead. It's so unique and intricate, and you can tell there's so much love poured into it that if it was ma- like produced by a, a major studio with like crunch time and like stuff like that, it might not have so many details and stuff like that. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, so. One thing I love about your social media is you show a lot of behind the scenes. Like you show, like you just have like a line moving back and forth as a loop and then you'll add arms to it and then you'll like form it and then you'll add details. Um, and can you just kind of go through the process it takes from having nothing to the final finished character in Cuphead? Sure, and um, I'm, I have to make a kind of disclaimer and this is something that I, I found was super interesting, especially uh, because we re- work remote and all the animators met face, like the entire team met face to face really on launch day. And we had worked together for like three or four years. And we met in LA when the game launched for the first time face to face. Also, like I never knew what kind of a process other animators have. So my process works for me. Uh, but for example, it is not the process of any other animator on this team. <laughs> like Everybody has a very different approach. And there's this amazing video, you should look it up, of Hannah Abihana and James Baxter, both animating Miss Chalice when she was announced live, like on animation desks on a stage. And their approach to animating Miss Chalice is completely different, like night and day. And then my approach is completely different. So what I have to say is not going to work for everybody, but it works for me. Um, so I have an amazing teacher. So I went to a whole bunch of schools, didn't graduate anything, but I have an amazing mentor that I did um, online courses with. I highly recommend her courses. She's incredible. Her name is Samantha Youssef, and she is uh, Montreal-based, but she has an online school called Studio Technique, and she has you know basic animation courses, but. I recently took a mentorship with her where it's very focused, where you know you just have one-on-one and she focuses on your animation. Uh, she's an ex-Disney animator, so she worked in the final kind of phases of 2D animation at Disney before the department got shut down. And um, her approach really spoke to me, and I kind of like am of her school of thought, and I consider her like like I'm her student because her method really works well. So the thing that she kind of emphasizes is um, animating energy first, uh, which she calls the line of action. So it's the energy flowing through the body of the character. And if that moves beautifully, just the one line moves beautifully across the screen, then you know you're gonna have a strong animation. And you're also not wasting a lot of time um, by just animating a line, right? And there's a lot of planning that goes before even I start animating this one line. So the way I actually start when I get a scene or you know a character to animate is that I act it out and I have like a lot of videos that I should actually share some more of them on social media. I, I share them when I do my talks of me acting like a fool in my living room, like recording myself doing these actions. And then I do a thumbnail pass where I like make little thumbnails of what I believe to be the key drawings. I do timing charts to know like how like much everything is gonna take. And then on a piece of paper, I'll plan everything on one piece of paper where it's gonna happen, how it's gonna go, like really rough. And then when I finally start animating, I know exactly where I'm going and I start animating this line of action. So it's just basically energy that flows. Usually it's the line and sometimes like maybe a sphere for the head just to kind of know where the head is. 
Um, after that, I animate uh, hips, shoulders, and, and like limbs to also move beautifully, but like just very simple lines. After that moves beautifully, I start kind of going in uh, what's called a shape phase, which is not thinking of the characters as like 3D models, kind of as you would think of them, like if you're animating a Pixar character or, you know, like not to think of it as math yet, but to think of it as 2D shapes. So like if it was a flat 2D shape, like is this triangle moving beautifully? Like it's not a character anymore. Is the triangle moving gorgeously? Is this negative space between his arm, is that shape a gorgeous shape and does it move beautifully? Um, and then if all that moves beautifully, then I start thinking of mass and like adding the kind of meat and potatoes of the whole thing and adding details like the little expressions and things like that at the very end. So it's a very kind of, you know, if I say it that way, it seems like I'm reanimating the scene 20 times, but you kind of combine some of those phases in your mind at some point and you do it like more fluidly. But that's how I was taught by Samantha. And she really made me like do each phase separately to begin with. And I find that it makes for very beautiful animation um, and it makes you think of the movement very differently. So I really recommend it. It was great for me. It works for me. Again, some people don't do this, but I do this. <laughs> oh, I like that. And it, it sounds very organized. So instead of taking the finished character and drawing like one frame of it, and then trying to figure out how it moves, you're instead starting with like the idea of movement, adding the skeleton onto it, like the triangle, the square, the, sh the shape, and then all the details on top. I still do um, pose to pose uh, instead of straight ahead, unless it's like hair or fabric at the end, then I do straight ahead. So I still do my keys first, okay. but I keep them very, very rough. Um, and I do a post-test with just keys before in-betweening. And I kind of go through those phases for my keys more than the in-betweens, like really focusing on those phases. And if all that is moving beautifully, then like adding in-betweens just like kind of polishes it out, right? So so you animated uh, like over 60 characters. How long does an average character take with this process? There is no average character. Um, so, uh, like, for example, some of the, the characters for uh, run gun levels are very, very simplistic. Like, you have this fish that, like, flaps its wings, right? Like, that took me from beginning to end maybe a day, probably less, uh, because I was, like, in the, in the zone and I could pump out characters. Um, and then you have things like Baroness von Bonbon, where... Um, like a big animation where she's like wrapping the castle and she's like telling it too much and all that stuff like that would take me like two weeks to complete the whole thing because you know the whole movement would be fairly simple but then you have like all the dripping icing of the yeah. you know the cake and and her like skirt has all those like damn folds which you have to keep counting to make sure that they don't like you know morph and disappear and um, so she was definitely a lot more detailed and some of the other characters who had like that kind of really intense character design, it takes quite a while. But then, uh, and then like there was one character which I absolutely hated, which took me forever because his movement was so mechanical. Um, it was the Mr. Chimes, the monkey from King Dice level. I can't stand that thing because he had to just do this, like uh, rotate from like one sixteenth to like one eighth. Like it's not even like three quarter to half. Like it's like rotate like this. Yeah. That you need to be super mathematical and super like I just my brain exploded. I just like had such a tough time with that one. Um Hannah helped me out in the end. He had to like draw over my frames to like <laughs> help me figure it out, like grids and stuff, and it was just 
Like that in like 3D would have taken you like half a second to do and it took yeah. you like, it was awful. Oh um, my gosh. Well, I love that you're working collaboratively even though like you never met each other. But it also sounds like you're getting a lot of direction on exactly how these characters look and move. So where is that coming from? So the, the two brothers who started Studio MDHR are called Chad and Jared. Uh, Chad worked mostly as the art director for the game, um, and Jared worked as the game designer. And they started basically as like a three-man show, the two brothers and a programmer. That's all the team was at the beginning, and they would do it like, you know, on their free time on weekends. Um, and they both have this huge love of 1930s cartoons. Uh, their parents had like this pile of VHS tapes or something of like Betty Boop and other ones. And they would watch them over and over when their friends were watching like He-Man and stuff like that. They were really into these old retro cartoons because they were so creepy and weird and wacky. So they have a huge kind of like breadth of knowledge of like what makes it look that way. And they're like kind of geeking out over it. Um, so Chad, uh, you know, he's not an animator himself, but he definitely had a very clear vision of what he wanted and how the game was supposed to look. So he would give us very very specific feedback on first, you know, what kind of character does he want? And then, you know, iterations of like polish and changing the character so it looks exactly how he wants it to look. So he had a very clear vision um, and very clear direction of where he wanted to go. And so we sometimes would like communicate with Jared, but mostly it was with Chad who's kind of in, in charge of the visuals. Gotcha. So do you have a love and appreciation for old uh, cartoons and the old like Betty Boop and oh, yeah, all those? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so... I, well, I was aware of them and I liked them quite a bit uh, before Cuphead, but it's not like I was a, a geeked out fan. But now I've watched so many hours of these cartoons. And I also um, there's this like great little uh, kind of app that you can download onto YouTube where you can frame by frame YouTube videos. Oh. Uh, look into it. It's great. Yeah, that sounds so helpful. Yeah, I think it's either Google Chrome has it as an add-on to YouTube, or you can actually just find it to like to add on to YouTube. And so I would like, you know, like there'd be a funny like motion that would happen, and I would like go back and like kind of just like frame by frame like all these actions just to see how they did it, how they approached it. Uh, hence, you know, all these like crazy animation smears that I I add to my uh, to my animations, um, which look very different from the Warner Brothers smears. So, like, there's a very certain, like, um, way they approach smears at those times. And, you know, again, like, the funny bounces have, like, torso sometimes is something completely different than the head. And it's all very, very specific to that era, this kind of, like, experimental era of animation uh, in the States. Um, so it's really fun. Lots of, a huge appreciation. Absolutely. So, um, I have so many questions. I won't ask all of them because it'll just go on for hours, but how do you budget uh, your time when you get um, like a, when you get a boss to do, like you're assigned a boss or a character, like how do you, what's kind of like the business side of the drawing if you're doing so, this time? And this is again, like Cuphead was done really for the love, not for the money. We were paid per drawing at the time, so not per hour. Uh, a lot of freelance animation I do, I get paid per footage, so per second. Like if it's a TV show or, you know, like a film, you get paid per how many seconds uh, the whole thing is. Even if you have like a hold for like, you know, I don't know, 8, 12 frames, you're still getting paid for like the entire time. Um, so that again fluctuates in your hourly rate, definitely, but uh, at least you kind of can guess what you're going to make. Whereas in the Cuphead, it's all animated on ones, first of all. 
because 1930s cartoons were animated on ones and also as a video game when you're moving things by code if it's animated on tunes you get like a on twos you get like a flashing a strobe effect so it needs to be animated on ones mm. um so we we would get paid per frame so i would like obsessively make excel sheets where i would time myself on like every task that i'm doing and then I would write how much I got paid for the thing and then how much would that equivalent to like made per hour. And if I, I was dropping like under a certain livable wage, <laughs> I'd be like, fuck, like I need to pick up the pace and I need to readjust and things like that. Um, like for example, the monkey, which I told you about, which was just like mind, I think I made $4 an hour in the end yeah. on the character, wow. which was like tragic. Uh, but that was the only character. And then some characters I would go really fast and, and you know, it would balance out. Um, so I would use a tool also because uh, during Cuphead's production, uh, again, like it wasn't a very livable wage. <laughs> like sometimes there would be worse months than others. So I would also do some freelance work on other stuff. I'd have like like two different side gigs that I would try and do to fill, fill in the gaps financially. So I used this tool called Timely. Uh, yes. Called yeah, and um, and basically you could just put timers onto different tasks and just like start stop timers. And it also like you could tell them like I'm making this much per hour for this contract or whatever. And it kind of adds up how much you're making per week, how many hours you work. And then I would use that and then at the end of the day, put everything into an Excel sheet uh, so that I kind of knew where I was standing and there was no surprises at the end of the month when rent was due and so on. Um, but that's me. I'm very organized and um, I don't know if everybody would have the patience to do what I do. But as a freelancer, that really helps. Right. So, well, I think that's good advice. And, and that's also maybe what did that drive you to seek the uh, Samantha Youssef's course as well to try to pick up a more, um, I guess, streamlined process? Uh, not particularly. I'm I'm kind of a freak of nature in general when I am like, I'm really fast at animating. Um, and this is not a skill that I learned. I was born this way. This is just how I am. And so when I was working in the video game industry in Montreal, and I had juniors, and I was still, you know, doing some art, but they would have to do a lot of it. I had to do time estimates like, oh, these are the tasks for this game. This is how long it should take to do it. And I had to always write two columns. It was like human time and then Tina time. So like, oh if you push me on this task, I'll do it in like half an hour. If you put a normal human, it's going to take them two hours and a half, you know, like, so like, that's, that's just the way I am. So I never needed anybody to make me faster or streamline the process. What Samantha's courses taught me is like the things that you would learn if you worked side by side with, you know, like pro 2D animators, right? Like these little tricks that like just really help the way you think about your animation. And, you know, um, I took her courses years ago, like her beginner courses. And then just recently I took a mentorship with her and she taught me like she blew my mind every time. Like it was a five session course. And every time she said something, I'm like, fuck off. I did like what? This could have like, you know, changed my life. <laughs> like years of animating would have been different if I had known these things. Um, like just how to like properly use an X sheet. I use it mostly as kind of like, for the inker and for the like people to know what I did after the fact. Um, and I would use thumbnails and timing charts to time my animations and not use an X sheet. And then she showed me how to use beats on an X sheet and like in fours and eights and like draw lines at the end and where to plan out your keys so that they fall and it looks beautiful and natural 
using the X sheet. I'm like, the hell? Why did nobody told me this? Oh no. So that was fascinating and fabulous. And also uh, um, like refining things, you know, after a certain while you get basics down, like you're no longer thinking about uh, arcs or you know, slow in and slow out. Like you have all that down. So she would, you know, push me further, be like, hey, so this is looking very mechanical and how you're doing an anticipation. Like it would be very clear, like I am anticipating an action and then I'm doing the action where she would force me to make the anticipation be a natural movement that the character just seems to have. Mm. And things don't move up and down then, they kind of move in like S's and waves, if you do it that way. So for example, a character is looking over his shoulder and he needs to look down at some point. So I'll make him just randomly look up before he looks down as part of the movement, instead of like, I am anticipating to look down. You know, it's just like, very subtle and almost imperceptible that you did an anticipation, but it's there. So things like that. So it's it's very much just trying to push myself to to get better and better and refine and refine and refine and make these things look more and more natural, even if I'm animating like a tiny little squishy boss for Cuphead, right? You just want to be a good animator. Well, I like that a lot. And um, I'm definitely going to include Samantha's um, course in the description of this podcast for anybody interested. I'm interested now. So, um, okay. So book, guys, she has a book. She actually went to Sheridan a few years back when she first published this book. It's called Movement and Form. And it's amazing. It changed my life. It's like, it explains how to think of the line of action and how to think about energy Um the best way that I've ever seen it explained. And I think it just works for me the way she explains things, but I'm sure it works for a lot of other people because a lot of people gave this book rave reviews. And she's um, she's not only an animator, but she's a ballet dancer. So her understanding of movement comes not only through like drawing and acting for her drawings, but the way she tells the story through dance. And that gives her like a very different perspective on body mechanics and how to like, express yourself with movement so so that is a very interesting perspective through like the eyes of a ballerina slash animator like how to draw right so it's great i really recommend it you should look into it awesome yeah i'm gonna include that um so like i said before i have a bunch of questions that were submitted to me but uh and then i want to talk about because um being in sheridan right now and having a lot of classmates who are interested in 2D animation, there is a love still for hand-drawn animation, but a frustration with the current marketplace not uh, having as many opportunities. So I do want to talk about the kind of current state of hand-drawn animation, but I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to like run through the questions that I've received just to kind of answer for those who are listening and ask the question. <laughs> so do you, let's just go through them. Um, first of all, I have a question. Um, so your animations look amazingly fluid and they are just so fun to watch but what is and i know you love doing this but what is something that is more grueling that you have to go through in this process that people might not know about um i think especially when i do my talk when i talk about my process for for cuphead like the takeaway for people who are not animators is holy you know like i didn't know it's that much work to get to the finished pro uh, product so i think it's not like to me it's no longer grueling it's actually fun but i think to like new animators or people who are just starting out it might feel like a chore at the beginning and i will say this over and over again don't jump in like the animation is the fun bit like don't jump into that right away take the time to prepare your animation will be so much stronger so act 
you're seen out or your character out in front of your your like smartphone or whatever watch the videos do like i do one pass of thumbnails where i kind of think of like what's going to happen i do my recording and then i do a second pass of thumbnails where i'm like oh i did something completely different and it was so natural to do it you know on camera but I didn't think of it when I did my first pass. So now I'm going to add this detail in, like the way my foot rotated or, you know, whatever have you, or like an expression that I did or where I blinked. Like, you know, because you, you blink so naturally when you're talking or when you're moving your head and you don't think about it when you're doing your first pass of thumbnails. So then the second pass of thumbnails. And then, okay, so how long is this going to animation going to take me? And then doing your timing charts, which is like do your timing charts. Like um, doing that and then planning it out on one piece of paper, like just to make sure like it all fits in the shot, it all works together. And then you start the animation. Like so like the, the prep time sometimes takes me more time than actually doing the animation. But if I hadn't done the prep time, my animation would be weaker and would probably take me a lot longer to do because I wouldn't be sure what I'm doing. Whereas after I've done all this prep work, I'm like, I got it. I know what I'm doing. Like I have my X sheet, everything's all ready. Now it's the fun bit, which is the drawing. So prep. That is really solid advice and something I am currently working on myself because yes, animation is super fun, but when you, I just recently experienced this. I watched something I spent about eight hours doing as an exported video, which somehow changes how it looks in my mind, I was totally underwhelmed and I was like, I have to redo this. <laughs> so now I'm going through the process of planning everything out ahead of time. And yeah, I did, I did, I'm doing stop motion right now. So I planned it out like just with hand movements with like simple frames. And I totally discovered a different way that it should have looked that I was like, this looks so much better. So exactly. I love that. Um, okay, so let's, let's dive into some of these questions. Which old timey cartoon character inspired you the most? So many. I mean, um, I love watching a lot of the Silly Symphonies. So it's not a character per se, it's like a series, right? There was a lot of Silly Symphonies that were um, themed around certain themes. So there would be like springtime and, you know, music and flowers and bugs and bees or whatever. Like, you know, so they were like very themed per a central theme. Um, and I did a lot of run and gun levels. So that was inspiring completely. Uh, for Baroness von Bonbon, I watched the Cookie Carnival, which some people like already on on the internet's figured out. So the Cookie Carnival was very inspiring for her. So the Cookie Princess, who is like, it's a very Cinderella story. She's like all poor, and this like friendly cookie helps her like have a makeover, <laughs> and she wins a beauty pageant or whatever. Like so, um, so that character really inspired Baroness. And then there's this one random character. Oh, I even she doesn't have a name. She's just like this random character and this random cartoon that inspired her as well. She was really fun. Um, I love the Popeye cartoons. That was really great. So like Popeye himself has some great movement. Uh, every single walk cycle he does is different. Take a look. He never repeats the same walk. It's pretty cool. So. I never noticed that. And I think I've seen every single Popeye there is. I also, like, we also had a giant stash of old VHS with Betty Boop and all the Fleischer cartoons. So I, I like, I love the Cuphead animations because they're re very reminiscent of that. Um, I don't know if you know this, but what was the very last drawing made on the original Cuphead? For me personally, I don't know, like, I don't know everybody else because we, me and uh, my partner were making bets on how many days before launch will I still get a request for Cuphead. And it was, I think, two days before launch that I got my final animation. Oh my gosh. And the final animation that I've ever done for Cuphead is um, the rotating triangle 
for king dice fight, like when you're on the board and you're like picking the fight that you're going to go, uh, it's like a part of UI. It's just like a triangle that goes from one thing and it rotates and it, that's hand drawn and I made the triangle rotate. So that was my last animation ever done on Cuphead, personally. Fine. Um, how long did it take to finish all of the animation? I know you kind of answered that already, but like, I guess what well, you said, three or four years, I think. So for me, it was um, almost four years. And uh, in general, the entire production of Cuphead, if you start counting when Chad and Jared and a programmer were in basements starting the like doodles, it was eight years, I think. Oh, wow. That is yeah. that is quite the vision. Yeah. And, so, yeah. So it's very small, very indie. And I think in total, it was eight years. Wow. Um, what was the most challenging part of designing the game with this style of animation? Ah, challenging. I think it was probably fairly challenging for the programmers um, because poor, poor programmers had to work with these like crazy animation charts. Um, I can't tell you their pain because they're not here right now. But for for us, it, although like people assume that it was like such a grueling process to make a hand drawn animation, I think we were just so excited about it, and that like it hasn't been done before, and it was just like it was the best you know four years of my life. I really look back on that on the production of Cuphead as like the dream job, which I will, nobody can take it away from me. You know, I have a project that I was super proud of and um, it was just, everybody was on this high and it was just a great experience. So like no complaints, it wasn't really grueling. It was just great and really fun. I love that. Um, another question is how does it, so you've also done freelance for TV and stuff. How does it compare to hand-drawn animation for film and TV? So it's very different. You're animating a lot of loops. Um, and for some people that's harder, um, especially when you do like, you know, when you make a very complex long loop, you can find a way to hook it up. But when you're doing short loops, you really have to be aware that like everything has to like meld seemingly, uh, seeming seamlessly together. Um, and it actually helps you become a better animator when it comes to body mechanics, because you're always kind of aware of that. And it's a very particular style. So there wasn't, you know, any TV shows or, or ever games that I did that were based on 1930s style. So you have to watch a lot of cartoons, frame by frame them, and uh, really kind of immerse yourself into that look um, so that you do those animators justice. You know, like one of our, our greatest kind of like challenges was to pay homage to that era and to do it in like a very respectful, beautiful way and like, the reason why we like drew everything on you know on paper and everything's inked on paper and the backgrounds are watercolor and we have these like crazy maquettes made of styrofoam that were stop motion animated is to you know uh, pay homage to the Fleischer um, studio to pay homage to the old Disney animators and Ubiorts and and we wanted to make them proud <laughs> you know so uh -huh. so it was it was a lot of that research like to be really era specific that was very much Cuphead and not any other kind of thing and um. Definitely, the 30s style is a lot more uh, raw. Like, you don't have these very subtle emotions that go through the characters that might go through TV shows. Um, you have very, like, I am angry, I am sad, <laughs> you know, I am happy. It's very, it's almost like pantomime. It's very kind of, uh, very straightforward emotions would happen uh, for this game versus a TV show. Nice. Um, here's a question about the Netflix adaptation um, that's happening. Will it be in the same artistic style that you used in the game? 
I can't say anything about that. Um, okay, next question. <laughs> whatever was uh, said by Chad and Jared at Comic-Con, I think is probably the best thing that you could look into. Um, so Chad and Jared were invited to Comic-Con specifically to talk about uh, Cuphead, the Netflix show. So if you look that up online, um, that's the only kind of answer I can give you. All right. Um, can you come to Sheridan to share your artistic journey and some of the drawings? That was a question. Well, if, if you know, if that gets organized, I'd love to. Um, again, right. as I mentioned before, I went to Sheridan for two years. I really loved um, the professors at Sheridan. I had a, a good experience. I couldn't complete uh, the BA because I ran out of funds. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to come back and be really wonderful to kind of share my experience and my love for 2D animation, which is, you know, something that I love to talk about. Um, the last three questions, I feel like you already kind of answered, but maybe just, you can just skim through them. What kind of research did you do for this game? I think you just mentioned you watched the hell out of all of the, <laughs> the cartoons, but also some great books. So there's the hidden art of the Disney Golden Age, um, which is wonderful. And it has a lot of that kind of concept art for all those shorts done by Disney uh, in the 1930s. So that's a great book. You can find it on, uh, on a lot of online stores. And I also did research in the sense of reading biographies. So I wanted to know more about who these people were. So I read the biography of Max Fleischer uh, by his son, Richard Fleischer, which is called Out of the Inkwell. I also read a biography of Eve Iwerks called The Hand Behind the Mouse. I read, um, you know, I went back and, and like uh, read Drawn to Life, like the bits that we're talking about the early days in the Disney studio. Uh, like, you should read that book like every so many years anyway, but like I went back to read those bits. Um, and yeah, I just did like a lot of research about what was happening in the era and at the time. Um, when I did Baroness von Bonbon, I researched into who were the actresses of the time. Because like if I'm designing uh, a beautiful woman, you know, for this game, and if I was in the 1930s, I'd be looking at contemporary actresses. So we were really trying to put ourselves in the mindset of that. Same thing with all the candy for the Baroness von Bonbon level. Every candy in there was era specific. Like I couldn't add a candy that was invented in the 40s or in the 50s, right? Like it had to be around 1930s. So it was a lot of Wikipedia. Like when was the jelly bean invented? And it was 1861, if you really wanted to know. Like, oh so my gosh. It's been around for a while. So jelly beans were included. Um, so we were very anal and very kind of weird about like the lettering is all hand like drawn by a lettering artist. And then when we did localization, which was only released recently, so like, you know, in different languages, like putting Cuphead into like Japanese, Korean and so on, the, they hired a Japanese calligrapher to redraw all the hand fonts, but he had to research what the Japanese lettering looked like in the 1930s because it had to be era specific, even in Japanese, Korean and, you know, Chinese kanji and all that stuff. So we're very nerdy. That is quite incredible dedication, though. Um, but it, I also feel like you need to do those things to create such a unique and preserve and preserve style that, that you did. So yeah, and otherwise, don't, they don't see all the behind the scenes kind of work and anal craziness, but they feel it. Like they feel, oh, this feels right. You know, everything feels like it makes sense to this era. So I think we did a good job. Um, what was your favorite animation to do on the show? I'm torn. Um, one of my favorites was the final chase in Baroness von Bonbon, where she like turns all crazy and like then the castle becomes a monster. I love that one. But another one where it was just like, it's one of those like crazy moments where you don't plan something 
And usually when you like just go for it and you're like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And then you test it and you're like, this looks like a pile of garbage. This is the one time it didn't. So the idol cycle for the, the rabbit, magician rabbit, his name is Hocus Pocus. Um, he does this like hand thing with his uh, wand where he's like kind of like twisting back and forth. And he's like, and I don't know how to do the hand thing with a wand. And I try to watch like people doing those like... Um, marching band people and it's just blurs right like all you see is a blur and i'm like i don't know what they're doing with their hand it's really hard so i just like kind of went for it i'm like this might look right and it looked so good and i was like fuck yeah so it was a pretty good moment <laughs> like so, i don't even know how i did this and i can't replicate it but it's great <laughs> yeah exactly it's a one time it's a one-off but it, it succeeded so that was a really high for me so the the rabbit idol cycle i really like that one nice um so I do want to switch up things and maybe we can just focus the last little bit of this podcast on kind of the state of hand-drawn animation. So say, for instance, I want to get into 2D hand-drawn animation. What is something that I really need to focus on to become successful or make a career out of this currently? So I personally think that like a lot of schools put a huge emphasis on learning software. Um, and saying that like, oh, if you don't know Harmony, if you don't know this software or that software, uh, you won't make it. And I think it's the opposite. I think you need to focus on your drawing skills and your acting skills and your timing and just like the basics of becoming a good animator. And that adapts itself super well um, to any software that later you have to use. And um, kind of going back to your idea of like the state of 2D animation nowadays, um, there's this amazing woman called Felicity Mortland, and she's working on a documentary called Hand-Drawn Film. And it's about the state of 2D animation today. So uh, please look it up. Uh, she's on Twitter, and uh, they're currently kind of in their last phases before we put this film together. And I was her first person that she interviewed uh, for this film. And at the very beginning of her journey, it was a little bit doom and gloom. It was like, oh, the golden age is over. Uh, now there's puppet animation because it's cheaper, faster, and uh, it's very limited. And if you want to do 2D, that's you can basically go into storyboard art because that's almost like being an animator because you're actually drawing stuff. But that was kind of the options that you had. Um, and then I talked to her recently, and this has been like years since we had our first meeting. And she's like, They're the tides, they are turning. Like people are... Um, getting more excited about 2D again. Like it's it's like coming and going in waves and we're, we're I think on the upscale of a new wave. So I think the students now who are into 2D should be excited, should not be like sad and upset. Like you should be excited, especially like Warner Brother is bringing back Looney Tunes. That's all frame by frame, digital, but it's all frame by frame. Um, so, and then um, she says it. And like, I heard a few people in the industry say that there is a cuphead effect that like, Cuphead was so wildly successful that like investors can't say that, oh, 2D doesn't sell. Like they can't, there's no excuse anymore like that. Like then people like show Cuphead and point to it because it sold over 3 million copies. But like, no, people like 2D, like it's shown. So once you have a precedent, investors are more likely to be like, okay, let's give it a try. Let's give 2D a try instead of 3D because they can no longer say people don't want 2D. So I think, and I know of several projects that are NDA, I can't talk about them, but they will be hiring a lot of animators. And I think people should get excited, especially the new wave of students going out looking for work. Practice your hand-drawn animation, even if like you won't be doing it on paper, but you'll be doing it on a Cintiq, but still frame by frame. Um, so I think it's exciting. And I think everybody should be happy and excited to, to go into the industry this year instead of like five years ago. 
Nice. So you're saying um, some of the top things to focus on if you want to get into this are your hand-drawn animation, but also your acting, timing, and yeah. what was the last one? The, so the... I think acting, timing, definitely, and um, just a good, um, like, so do life drawing, you know, draw from, like, analyze movement and... And like definitely just get your drawing skills up to par. Uh, one thing that I'm noticing a lot of people who have been doing a lot of, let's say, puppet animation, who suddenly are thrown back into frame by frame, they forget about like subtle angle changes in the head when you're talking. Like they like, oh, we're talking in three quarters. Let's keep everything in three quarters. Or we're talking straight. Like, like they don't do those like small, like little changes up and down when you're making emphasis on a syllable. And I think like being able to rotate that easily is like just being good at drawing. And so in order to do that, like go to life drawing, um, analyze yeah. movement, uh, act things out yourself, take an, take an improv class, you know, if you have the time, uh, go and take a theater course, uh, really like get into like, how am I gonna act this out? What is the character thinking and feeling? Um, and then combine that with good drawing skills. So definitely a lot of practicing. Uh, but I think like, it's an exciting time. I'm not as depressed as I was like, years ago about the state of 2D. I think it's it's coming back in, in a big way. So it's exciting. Well, I think that's great advice. And and um, stop motion is also another one that goes and comes in waves. But uh, and, and I focus on that in other podcasts. But for 2D hand-drawn, what is an advantage of hand-drawn animation over puppetry other than like you mentioned the like subtle subtleties of expression stuff? When would you pitch a hand-drawn animation project versus a tweened puppet um, animation? When is their advantage? I think the advantage definitely is the, the amount of subtlety of the acting that you can achieve. So uh, I don't know, like my dog, uh, I just got a puppy this year. His name is Appa. And most people who are not animators don't know the reference. Uh, but he's from Avatar The Last Airbender. He's uh, Aang's um, air bison. It's called Appa. Um, and when I saw that, like, that is a kid's show, it's TV budget, uh, but it's frame by frame hand-drawn animation. And the subtlety of the acting and the amount of emotion they get into those characters, to me, is mind-boggling. Like, they really, like, it's even appealing to adults because, like, the amount of, like, emotional uh, growth that the characters go through and the type of, like, very subtle emotions that they, they have um, is very intriguing and the story is very strong. And I find that now I see that the, um, the studios that are, are, are trying again to go back to hand-drawn 2D are, are really like looking for quality of like movement, quality of emotion. I find it more engaging. Uh, sometimes if you have a very graphic look, I feel like almost like puppetry would be better. But then on the other hand, for example, Samurai Jack is very graphic, but it's frame by frame 2D. And I think it's so much better for it. You know, instead if it was made puppet, it would like end up being so stiff. Um, there's something beautiful about a line that's moving, that's alive. So when you redraw every frame, that line is living. When you have a puppet, the line is static. And I think you don't believe in those characters as much. You can still enjoy this show and enjoy the, the beauty of the graphics and the design and the, you know, in, in every way you can still enjoy it. But to me, there's something so extra about that, like, living, vibrating line that um, that just makes it worth it to, to push for, you know, frame by frame. I totally agree. And it's so funny because you can instantly tell when you watch something on TV or whatnot, if it's, 
you know, frame by frame or like a puppet, even if they do an amazing job with the puppet, it's, yeah. it's like an instant thing. You just know. Um, exactly. I think that I think that pretty much sums up like everything I wanted to ask. Is there anything that you want to plug or put in this or like what's next for you? Um, yeah, so definitely you guys look out for DLC when it comes out. So um, we're working on that at Studium DHR currently. It's pretty exciting. You can follow Studium DHR on Twitter at Studium DHR. Um, that's the official kind of account. Uh, I have a Twitter and Instagram, which I'm sure you're going to share at the very bottom. I will plug those, yes. Yeah, and whenever I can share um, work, um, I'm going to try and do that as well. I'm working on a side project uh, for an amazing artist called Brian Kesinger. Um, who's uh, an ex-Disney artist and I think currently working for Lucasfilms. Um, he uh, is directing a hand-drawn frame-by-frame on paper short called um, Jasper J. Pumpkinhead. Um, so if you look up Brian Kesinger on Twitter, and I, I have some of the animations that I'm doing for him on my, um, my accounts as well, it's, this, uh, it's a very different style than Cuphead. It's kind of more hang like trying to uh, to go in the style of the old disney um like golden age so jungle book uh, sword in the stone that kind of era robin hood um so it's a lot more detailed the character has a lot more weight he has a lot more subtle emotions but he has also a very simple design he has like two circles and a you know basically a half moon for his mouth his head is a pumpkin um so that's a lovely again very much for the love type of project that i'm doing on the side and, um, and that's something to look out for and follow Brian uh, to find out more about it. So it's a great project. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, now that I know you're in my neighborhood, I hope we randomly uh, have a doggy date again. Yes, good. <laughs> definitely have a dog date. <laughs> All right. And if you are listening and you have questions or want to follow Tina's work, I'm going to include links to her blog, her demo reel, her Twitter and Instagram in the description of this podcast. And that's all for now. Thank you for listening. Okay, bye.